I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 133 for May 22nd, 2013. Now, who was going to tell me that on t- I don't have all the information here for what's on today's show? Why didn't anyone <laughs> tell me this? We're just going to have to go through the whole thing and then come back and fill that in. <laughs> what, is- oh, yeah, what do you know? Look at that. <laughs> I'm looking right at it going, wait a minute. Well, shoot, I ain't filled that out. Um, I do have it right here. Hold on. I actually put it into the blog post already because I, I prepared. I just prepared incorrectly. Let's pretend that didn't happen. Ready? On today's show, we're talking about Marple's Blades, uh, Sweetheart versus Bailey, storing hand planes, high-end sanders, protecting your assembly table, and pressure-treated wood. But before we get to that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by SawStop. SawStop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit SawStop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on Find a Dealer to see the saw in action near you. That's right. Keeping it professional here. That's what we're all about. Absolutely. (laughs) Every every time I hear that, I just want people to know that it's the one I chose, but they can't have... The actual one that I chose. <laughs> they can't actually get your model. Like you'll hand right. deliver it from your basement to their house. Right. Well, unless they come down and get it themselves, I might be willing to suffice <laughs> that. But there probably should be a big stack of green in their hand simultaneously. There you go. There you go. You can autograph it with the tiny little bit of blood on your finger from testing this all with your own finger. There you go. Or, or the, I'll just uh, set a whole bunch of like Coke cans or something on it and like leave little watermarks all over it. Or the uh, the juice from the hot dog that you cut. There you go. Just wipe it on like a big wet marker. <laughs> It'll do you, be do you think I should have washed off the blades after I did that? I wonder what they're doing to it right now. You know, I actually once cut with my bandsaw, we bought some New Jersey pork roll and had it shipped in and it's frozen. And uh, we had to cut it because we wanted to split it. So I'm like, you know what? It's frozen. Let me cut this on the bandsaw. And, and you know, in theory, in my mind, sounded like a fantastic idea. Then I realized... <laughs> You know, just like wood chips and wood dust, I now have pork product dust um, <laughs> all over the surface of the bandsaw. It's in the, the gullets of the blade. And I'm like, wow, that was really just one of the most all-time stupid things I've ever done. <laughs> but hey, I split that pork roll in half. But now it, you know the answer to what bandsaw blade is good for cutting meat. That's true. Now we know. Oh, crap. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So uh, Shannon and I don't really have a whole lot on our benches this week. So we're going to throw it to Matt, who went to the big weekend with Wood Conference uh, thing, festival, party, whatever you want to call it, uh, up in Des Moines. And, you know, he's going to give us a little lowdown on what happened, how it was, and may- really compare it to some of the other events. I know, I don't know, maybe they don't like when we do that, but I'm always curious. 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the other events won't do. In fact, a certain editor in another magazine really felt that I was cheating on them by going. But um, <laughs> I'm just glad that I can cause a little controversy, I guess. I, it's nice to feel wanted. Everybody's Absolutely. fighting over you. <laughs> exactly. He's mine. Yeah, you know, overall, I, I, I'm, the way I feel about it, the Weekend with Wood, it, it was really, it was fun. I had a really good time. There is, it is definitely an older crowd. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think the lineup at the bathroom was much longer due to <laughs> large prostates. And I'm not really stretching it that far by saying that. But the nice thing is the guys at Wood, I, they know their audience really, really well. I mean, they, they definitely know this audience better than anybody else. And they planned in plenty of potty breaks for this. There was a nice half-hour stretch between classes. And one thing I did like about this is what – it's, I've only I haven't been in the woodworking in America what in about a year or so, but typically the classes are like what about an hour and a half something like that mm-hmm. hour hour and yeah, a half I think so yeah and these ones they were like pretty much a solid two hours and I will say that the majority of the classes uh, at weekend with wood will definitely say that these were geared much more towards I don't want to say beginning woodworkers but definitely along that lines there were classes that could easily fall into the category of maybe a more advanced woodworker, but they fell right in line with the type of articles that you usually see in Wood Magazine, which are definitely geared towards the home hobbyist woodworker. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I thought was was really neat. And they were, the audience that was there, that was exactly what they were looking for. Uh, everybody that I talked to, they were just blown away by the experience they were getting in the class. In fact, a couple of guys with things like something as simple as... Uh, was a, was a table saw tune-up or making cabinets uh, on the table saw. And the guys I was talking with in the elevator are like, I can't even tell you how hard my mind is blown right now. That guy <laughs> knew so much stuff. I can only hope to someday know a quarter of what he taught us. Nice. And I'm That's thinking, awesome. what, what class were you in? Because <laughs> you know, I should avoid that one. My brain's really hurting right now. <laughs> sounds like now. a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so the big thing for me is... Um, I've never been at an event where there were uh, dedicated classes to finishing. So my first day was pretty much spent the entire day with Jim Heavey. Now, I feel I have to apologize to Jim that I put him through that experience. (laughs) But I was sitting in the audience. And again, I was watching the reactions of all the people around me. And they were totally enthralled with what was going on there. And the class links were the perfect amount so that the instructor could get the information they wanted. They had a nice syllabus. They had handouts for everybody so you could follow right along with what the discussion was going to be. Mm-hmm. And there was a perfect amount of time in there that you could have the question and answer period. And let me tell you something. Usually when we go to these, there's the occasional questions towards the end. Oftentimes, uh, it seems like it's kind of like the person who's asking the question might know the instructor. And so there's like a little you know personal joke back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of a thing. But this one, these were like very sincere questions. And, you know, could you please emphasize what what was it you just did there and then have the instructor go step by step? Now, I also think, and this is with talking with some other folks out there, not just the the staff, a a vast majority of this audience is engineers or retired engineers. (laughs) So you you know how they get. I mean, well, that's pretty much the, you know, the woodworking group in general (laughs) are going to be people like that. (laughs) Yeah, so so there was a lot of extreme uh, requests for detail, like yeah. more detail than the inst- – in fact, I think one instructor who I won't name uh, really kind of almost came across like you're thinking too hard was almost kind of the answer that he gave. Yeah. It was, you know, you, you are really overanalyzing this. Would workers overanalyze? What? I know, exactly. No. Imagine that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but at the same time, everybody, I think they they realized the humor in it, so yeah. they, they enjoyed it. Um. Again, I think the, the way that the, the classes were spaced out was was really nice. It was a little bit unusual in the fen- in the sense that there was only like three classes per day was mm-hmm. usually about the maximum. And there wasn't a lot of going in between classes. Yeah. So if you were, say, sitting in a bull turning class and decided, mm, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking, uh, I don't really see too many people kind of getting up and wandering anywhere else. Right. Did they lock so, the doors so you were trapped can't in there? Get out. <laughs> I did notice the staff was posted near there. And as soon as you got up, it was kind of like, where do you think you're going? <laughs> Sit <Please>. down. <laughs> do you really have to pee, sir? I don't think you yeah. uh, uh, We don't have another break for uh, 10 more minutes. I'm so, sorry, 9 minutes, 58 seconds. Sit so there was, no, uh, there was no vendor area or any place you could go in between or to just kind of kill time? 
No, not really. No, okay. they, and that, in fact, that was a question I did have for the staff, and they said that they're going to think about that one because they were really, you know, totally sincere about it and saying we really thought that having a vendor area, people might be turned off by that. Like, you know, oh look, they're trying to cater to the advertisers and you know maybe trying to get a little something on the side. And the funny thing is. About halfway through day one, I think it was like around lunchtime because they they served lunch. People were saying, well, "Where's your products? Where are your DVDs? Where's your books? You know, we we want to purchase things." Yeah, and right. so it was the funniest thing ever was watching them scramble to go get supplies to come out and so they almost like to sell to people <laughs> almost overcompensated on the we don't want to come across as uh, making a sales pitch, but they didn't even plan on uh, you know anyone wanting to buy stuff. I mean, I know when I go to an event like this, yeah, I spend money to get there, but my wallet is usually burning for something. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like I want to buy something. I don't You've know. You've been what saving it's... the whole year just to go there and buy stuff. Yeah. So I know I can't be the only one who looks forward to like, okay, I learned about this thing. I saw this new product. Maybe I want to try that out and go buy it for myself. So um, yep. interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. Matt, that, um, that was one thing I pointed out because I, I said, you know, oftentimes the marketplaces that's usually these small boutique vendors or mm-hmm. things that, you know, they've, they've right. seen the reviews you know, they're not expecting necessarily, well, maybe this crowd was expecting like, you know, DeWalt or somebody to be there. But it's those, yeah, those small kind of boutique dealers that you normally don't see yeah. that they they were kind of hankering for that. So, uh, and the funny thing is some of the instructors also brought DVDs with them and, and or, or even like in the case of Gary Rogowski, he had some T-shirts and stuff like that. And people were snagging those up like left and right. I mean, it was like, it was literally, I have money in my pocket. It's burning a hole in there. I will buy whatever you have. <laughs> Take my money, please. How was the audience in general uh, in terms of like number? Um, It was, well, they didn't sell out. That was one of the things that I had asked first on. They They came awful close. There was still... Uh, a, a fair number of seats open up. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came to the actual classrooms themselves, I mean, it was hard to tell really when it came down to the, they had the classrooms, the perfect size on average, most of the classes I were, I was in, I'm going to say like it was on the high end would be 20 people. Okay. It was uh, one or two classes where there was probably more like 30, 40 people. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely evenly distributed throughout. There was, I think there was only really one room that could hold a large number of people, and that was the carpentry room where they were doing things like how to build kitchen cabinets and uh, the, like the table saw tune-up or something like that. Okay. So it was definitely plenty of room to move around, and there wasn't a bad seat in the house, to be quite honest. Where did this actually take place? It took place at their headquarters there at Meredith okay. Publishing. That's what so, I thought. So they have a lot of classroom space there. Well, the funny thing is what we ended up doing was we, had, we went up into – there were some classes that were – actually in the uh, the workshop itself where you see the things like when they're doing the, the construction in the magazine, we were up in that particular workshop. There was another one where they do all the videos that they produce. We were down in that workshop. And then we were downstairs in the basement. Uh, they set up kind of a makeshift one for Brian Simmons who was doing the wood turning. And then there was the carpentry shop and the finish shop, which let me tell you something. I posted a little video of Jim Heavey spraying some lacquer on and somebody had made a comment about, you know, like, oh, well, I don't want to point this out, but he's not wearing a mask. (laughs) There was a wall of filters that was right in front of him. When they turned on that filters, you were sucked forward. You felt yourself actually being pulled into it because that's where they do all of the the spray finishing for uh, Better Homes and Garden magazine when they have things that are in there. So that was that was that was a pretty neat experience. So it was all over the place. You definitely they had signs up. They needed a traffic cop at one point to help people like, OK, no, don't go down that way. That's the cafeteria. You want to go down that hall, take a left, take the elevator up, take another left, then go right. And then you'll see another sign that will get you someplace. What about the cafeteria? Well, I like to go in there. But, Seriously, um, <laughs> what's up with that? There was only open one day, but they did feed you. So that was a nice thing. So overall, though, the space was huge. And really, the downstairs space, that was actually where they used to publish the magazine, where they did their own publication, where they printed it. But they no longer do that. So they had all that wide open space. And you didn't feel like crunched in anywhere. You didn't feel like a sardine. There was plenty of elbow room. So it was set up very, very nicely. Cool. That sounds good. Right yeah. Another big thing that I, I have to mention is they had like a, a swag bag. I don't know if anybody saw the picture I put up. It was like they were claiming it was like well over $200 worth of stuff for everybody that walked in the door. You got this this neat little bag and it had stuff like uh, I got like a couple of different type of uh, glue bottles, glue applicators, two different types of tape measures. Um, let's see here. Uh, there was a Craig little pocket hole jig maker, uh, a three piece. um 
Marple Chisel, actually Irwin Chisel set with little mallets, uh, DVDs, uh, magazine galore, you know, so all sorts of neat things. And then, and then on top of it, at the lunch breaks, they did the door prizes, and there wasn't a single person that was in attendance that didn't win a door prize. So uh-huh, that was, really, how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, at, at one point, I swear they were running around and just pulling stuff out of the shop and being like, "All right, we've got this." Uh, Vintage wood hat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that was but I, one more thing I have to say is for anybody that's been to, like, say, like Woodworking in America or something, again, because it's a little bit, we'll say, um, a vintage crowd that was there. The one night that there was the event where we went out and had drinks, um, it was a bar right across the street from the uh, the publication. They pretty much cleared out by seven. There wasn't like a single, uh, there was like me and like maybe a couple other woodworkers that were like, so I guess I'll go back to my hotel room now. (laughs) (laughs) So not a great nightlife at this one. Uh, Not with that particular crowd. Maybe, maybe if we can get, you know, some more younger people there, we might be able to shut that place down. But uh, I was kind of okay with it because I had a mile walk to get back to my hotel. So (laughs) nice. So um, it's it's funny because in looking at the photographs you've posted, you know, obviously the entire staff was wearing red shirts. Yes. So you were either at an, at a circuit city that hadn't gone out of business, or you, you knew where to go. Um, and, exactly. You know, it seems it seems kind of silly, but there is something nice about like knowing who to talk to. How do I get there? How do I do mm. that? That's one thing I can say about some of these other events I've I've been to, in you know, regardless of industry. You right. know, sometimes it's just nice to be able to pick out someone who knows what they're doing in a big crowded room. Yeah, so that's, that's kind true. of a nice touch. Very yeah. true. Um, I'm curious now, what do you guys think in general, if we can put our little speculation hats on, where is all this going, right? We've got fine woodworking with their event. We've got mm-hmm. pop woodworking with their event. And now wood has their event. And I'm just curious, like you're, you're from what you described, it does sound like the people who go to these events tend to reflect those that are, I guess, if you would to really stereotype and generalize who reads those magazines, it seems like those are also the people that are showing up. So where is this all headed? I wonder how sustainable all this is, how profitable this is for them. Can we look forward to this continuing on? Or is this something that just fizzles out because they because it's not going anywhere in the long run? Like if they can't sell out, you know, their first show, I don't know if is that a bad sign. Will they be doing it again next year? Um, well, I don't actually, know. I do know that currently I, I just received an email the other day that uh, it sounds like they, they're already kind of working this out. And one thing they did do is I, I should mention this is part of one of the events was they had an actual Q&A with the editors themselves, which yeah. everybody came in and you could pretty much ask them any question. There was a couple of questions that I think they were ready to have me removed, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. And that's not really joking that much either. I, I swear there was like one guy that was moving towards me yeah. that was going to have me removed out of there. <laughs> uh, but the, one of the things they did say was this was completely planned at the last second. So the numbers they did get completely blew them away. This was literally like one of those, you know what we should do? Yeah. yeah. We should have an event sometime. And the huh. biggest question they had was, when should we do it? They wanted to do it earlier in the year, but then they were thinking, well, again, because they know their demographic, a lot of the snowbirds were still in Florida, so they wanted to wait till at least they got back. But at the same time, they wanted to get it before the younger crowd would actually maybe start heading out on summer vacations. Sure. So the fact that, you know, they literally put it together in just a few months, you know, they, they were pretty excited about it. And like I said, from what it sounds like, they're already starting to put again, put it together again next year. So good, I, think, I wonder if the real question is next year, once they have this time to put it out there, get the word out, because they even admitted themselves they really didn't get much advertising out about this. There was, right. you know, very little when it came yeah. down to it. If, if you weren't going, I don't think I would have known anything about it. Yeah, it, it was. I, I don't even know if it was in any of the magazines. I'm sure they had to have had it in their magazine, but it was very low key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what the the real test is if next year when they have it, if again they don't sell out or the numbers are fewer, then I wonder if that's when they you know they'll really start reevaluating. Should we do it? Should we not do it? Yeah. Because yeah. their overall goal is to keep it exactly at the same location, and again, it's because it's their home turf, so right. they're more comfortable there. Everything's there. You know, and they they feel like they can provide a as these as they were telling me like they can provide a better service that way mm-hmm. and a better representation of who they really are versus going to a larger venue. Well, the good thing about it ultimately is it seems to be spread out pretty well. I mean, obviously, if woodworking in America keeps changing what they're doing, clearly they have the Cincinnati thing. They tried the, the West Coast last year. 
Um, you know, the bottom line is there's more and more of these events that we can go to. And for me, one of the best parts of any type of woodworking event is the educational aspect. Even if it's one of those, you know, like the traveling woodworking shows, the -hmm. education is like the best part of it. So this is like a concentrated version of that just for that. So if you can't make one, you can probably make one of the others. Uh, It's just more opportunities to, to connect with people and to learn. I think it's great. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I like the flavor that each of the magazines – I mean, well, I, sh- I shouldn't really say that. I only know of two of them. I still have yet to go on to find woodworking, which is definitely on my wish list this year. If we have any uh, benefactors out there that would like to help me get there, that would be fantastic. <laughs> right. I can give you my email address if you don't already have it. There you go. Um, but yeah, I, I like the idea that they each each one has a particular flavor from what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really appealing because let's get serious. There are certain magazines that – we tend to favor. Sure, we might buy all of them what? once in a while because there's something really neat about it. But typically, most people have a certain flavor, a certain type of magazine that they prefer. And if they have a a venue like this, some sort of conference like this, where it's really letting that flavor come out, that seems to have some some real appeal to the the individuals. I've got the fever for the flavor, Matt. I do too. I'm, I'm just, I can't wait for Knitting America. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that sounds good. I wish him the best of luck with that. And speaking of woodworking shows, there is another one coming up. We'll move into our, our news segment now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exciting. Yeah. News. news. <laughs> so um, that's that's going to be our official intro. I should record that and, uh, and use that over and over. Okay, so Woodworking in America is coming up in October, and the three of us are going to attend. This will be the very first time all three of us are in the same place at the same time, believe it or not. Oh, man, I hope the universe doesn't implode. This is going to be scary. It might. I've never actually looked Shannon in the eye, so I'm kind of nervous about that. (laughs) Um, I hear that he'll bite you if you do, but anyway. Matt Matt tried, but couldn't get The stool wasn't tall enough, so I just couldn't get up there. (laughs) There you go. Um, since we're all going to be there, we decided, you know what, let's have a little get together. Let's do a live recording if we can pull it off. Uh, so we have reserved a room at the Keystone pub and brewery or whatever it's called bar and grill or something like that. Uh, on the 19th, that's Saturday from six to 10. We'll give, we'll give you all the details. I think we might even do it from seven to 10 to give us some time to set up, but there's going to be food and, and drinks and which you'll have to pay for your own. But it'll be there if you want it. <laughs> it will be supplying the fun. That, yeah, that's that's what will be free. Although if it gets too fun, we may have to charge. Yeah, we may you. have to charge. We can't have too much fun without paying for it. So, um, so we're going to do that, and it. I think it's going to be a blast. I'm really looking forward to this. I, I think this should be a great. My question is: Are we going to do it like Howard Stern style? Like, who's going to be like Howard Stern? I, I, I assume I will probably have to be Robin, so I'll be in a booth someplace. <laughs> what what does behind that the make class? me? Fred. Yeah, you're going to be Fred. You'll be on the sound effects. Um, Yeah, it's. I don't know. I think we'll just try to do our regular show, uh, keep an extra microphone so that if anybody has a a comment or a question and they want to chime in, it'd be great to bring people up. And especially if it's folks who listen to the show and just never had a chance to to actually talk to us directly, we could have a a fun little woodworking conversation and just hang out. It's going to be awesome. I yeah. think so. That's going to be awesome. These I events am so are great. looking forward to this. Totally. So we'll give you uh, more details. I don't know how, how much more detail we need, but I guess if anything changes, we'll let you know. Um, yeah. There is, what's the limit on the, the room size? Like 60 or something, you said, Shannon? Uh, it's it's like a little over 60, but that would be kind of standing room only. Yeah. So if people actually want to get a seat, um, they do have like a full, uh, I guess they call it their catering menu that they'll make available to us. Okay. Um, I think about 40 to 45 people can actually get a seat at a table. Um, okay. but you know, I told them, Hey, we'll fill the room if, if, if we can. So yeah. it's kind of up in the air. So if, you know, first 40, some people who show up are probably going to get a seat. I don't think they're going to turn anybody away um, beyond that. And having we, never done this as a group, we don't even know what to expect. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, ho- right. we're it hoping. It could totally bomb unbelievably. Yeah. yeah, there could be 10 people and or the place could be packed and some people aren't going to be able to get in. We don't know. I have no idea. I, I know when I've done get-togethers in the past at uh, like uh, AWFS and IWF, IWF, we've had a showing of about 30 people. And this was like four years ago. So things are a little different now, and it's all three of us doing this. So I don't, I don't know if I were to judge by the numbers, I would think we should be able to fill the room. Uh, but and, who, and if who it's only knows? ten people, it's going to be the ten luckiest people that have ever existed. Yeah, everyone's going to get swag giveaways. It's going to be like the wood. <laughs> You're going to get the shirt off my back, and that will blind you for life. <laughs> there you go. You know, if you said it's like up to sixty people or something like that, I'm thinking if it's uh, forty woodworkers, it's probably like if. 
the actual size. Think about the typical size of a woodworker. We probably I know where you're going with this. That. This is terrible. That's <laughs> wrong. Two seats per person. That'd be terrible. Yeah. Well, look at it this way. I know at the same time, or at least the same night, there is an actual popular woodworking event, something right. that's on the Woodworking in America registration. I think Megan said it was like 130 people max. Um, you know, and if, if you figure there's four or 500 people going to the show, which I think is what's about normal, yeah. there's going to be a lot of you left out in the cold without a place to go. Um, no, no admittance to the popular woodworking <laughs> exclusive club. All disappointed so, woodworkers, please yeah. come hang well, out right. with thing us. Is, as I think that event is more for the intellectuals, so we'll definitely get most of the crowd. <laughs> right, def- right. Our crowd's not going to want to go to that anyway. <laughs> come enjoy the consolation prize. We're Wood Talk. <laughs> <laughs> We're not too proud. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so there's that. We'll, we'll keep announcing that as we move forward. Uh, I have another news item here. SketchUp 2013 is out, and this is... You may remember a while back, Trimble, I believe, is the name of the company that purchased SketchUp. And a lot of people just kind of speculated on what was going to happen with the free version because we all kind of use it. And, you know, the the pro version is not cheap. So we were a little nervous, like, oh, boy, where is this going? Well, it looks like you can kind of see the first iteration of what they were able to do with it. They've made some under-the-hood improvements. And I think if you're a real SketchUp Power user, you might start to see some of these things. I think the average person just might see a little, like me, will probably just see a facelift and some new icons. Um, What I noticed, though, was I downloaded it, and their free version is called SketchUp Make. But there's really only one download. So you download it, and it's essentially a trial of the pro version. And you've got about eight hours of working time before it kicks into the SketchUp Make version. So at that point, you can either put in a license key and and get the upgrade, or you stay with the the free version. But it's not entirely clear. Like, I downloaded it, and I was like, I don't want the pro version. I don't even (laughs) want the pro trial version. Where's the the free version? You kind of have to go through it (laughs) until you get to the the free version. So don't be confused by that. But that is out if you want to check it out. And that's um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but I think it's just SketchUp.com. Are there any kind of interface changes that you can see so far? Not that I saw. I know there's a lot of like toolbar issues and not issues, toolbar things that you can do for customization. I saw some icons like I couldn't find the the standard rotation icon, the orbiting icon. Right. It's just because it's a different icon. The tool is still there. It just looks different. Um, so See, I didn't, that's the uh, part that really kills me. And like, if they start changing keyboard shortcuts, I'm screwed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope, I mean, power users use the heck out of those things. So I hope that they're not going to change those. Um, right. But ultimately it's probably more the same than it is different. Um, but it's something to check out. Uh, SketchUp 2013. We, cool. Aaron Marshall, get on that. Let us know what's the difference. Yeah. Let us right. know. We yeah, expect a full back. report. <laughs> Well, um, in some other breaking news, um, longtime oh. inspiration, fabulous super woodworker, hero of all of our dreams. Carrie Before Holtman. you go any further, I am going to walk away because I refuse to listen to this. I refuse yeah. to believe this before you go any further. <laughs> this is not Matt, true. Matt is boycotting this news. So. That's right. So yeah, go I, ahead. I'm not listening, though. He's in the de- <clears throat> uh, denial stage of, of I'm turning years. off my, my, my headset. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Carrie Holtman has decided to hang up the blog. She is retiring her blog, and you know, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't fault her for it. Certainly, it's it's the the right time for her. I know that she's uh, she and Nancy have uh, got some things going on, but I don't even think that's the reason why. I think it was no. just kind of a ready to move to a different chapter in her life. But uh, I, I just gotta say, you know, Carrie, thank you. Um, everything you've written is just awesome. Um, I, I don't think there's a post in there that was ever bad. And I'm constantly finding your blog when I Google stuff. So um, certainly it's not like that's the cool part of the internet, I think. That's the cool part of writing a blog is you may decide, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore, but it doesn't ever go away. You know, no, right. So that that's really cool. So hopefully – we might be able to convince Carrie to every now and then throw one of those cool tips like she used to do for us. And maybe we can hear her on this show. That'd be great. Cause I can never yeah, get yeah. enough of listening to her voice. Absolutely. Oh. Still some of the uh, most popular downloads at the spoken wood podcast. I believe it. I believe it. She has, I'm telling you, she's got a side career. She wants it in, uh, in reading books. I, yeah, I, I think totally. she should read your book. I'd rather listen to her than you read it. No offense. I, well, I don't want to read my book. I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do that again. I've read it like 10 times. Uh, well, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say it, it does make me a little bit sad, but I want to say congratulations because I think that's a great thing to know 
when you're ready to move on to something else and when yes. you're done with this particular thing. And who knows, maybe she'll start another blog in the future or she'll do something else. I mean, she's not going to disappear. But to me, I think it takes a lot of guts to to just say, I'm I'm done. I did what I needed to do or what I wanted to do here and I'm ready to move on. So I, so I say yeah. congratulations. Yes. You know, there's Absolutely. a lot of people that just kind of fade. They just don't post anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, and to actually write something saying... Hey, I'm done. It's time. It's time. <laughs> I've said it all. It's time to move yeah, on. Yeah, fading is is really, I don't know. It's like texting to break up with someone. It's the cheesy way to do it, you know. <laughs> That's like, very true. You know, it's a this 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 actually just takes some guts to to do a a gut check with yourself and say it's time. And yes. So whatever you wind up doing, Carrie, keep us keep us uh, in the loop. I hope you at least continue to post stuff on Facebook and uh, let us know how Nancy's doing and wish you guys the best. Yeah, whatever you decide to do, just go ahead and and put it on your blog. Just blog it every now and then, um, once a week. I'm thinking. <laughs> so yeah, it, instead of blogging about your woodworking, how about you just once in a while put up a blog post about what you're doing in the shop, you know, right. and then take pictures and then you know, talk about it a little bit. Maybe write a yeah. little bit. You know, you don't have to go into great details, just enough so that I can follow along and maybe make it myself. That's a good idea. You should consider that, Carrie. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, I've got one more thing in the news thing. Uh, the folks over at Sawtooth Ideas. Uh, recently partnered with Woodcraft Magazine and Woodworkers Journal to uh, offer some of their most popular projects uh, on its website. Uh, I think that's pretty neat because that was actually, going back to Weekend with Wood, that was a question that was asked of the editors themselves is how can we get like SketchUp plans of some of your your great projects? So to see you know a couple of magazines here turn to this and and put up real working you know drawings and stuff for people to download you have to purchase these these aren't free but to actually purchase them from the things that you would normally see in the magazine i I think that kudos to them for kind of stepping forward because i I know sometimes when it comes to published projects like that there seems to be kind of a, a weird zone with whether it's okay not okay how you go about doing it. Well, they don't like to share, you know. No, they don't. They don't want to let go of this stuff. Um, You know what? I'm kind of upset I didn't get a press release when they took five of my projects and put them on. Uh, Guys, I'd like my press release, please. Um, I think Sawtooth Ideas is probably one of the coolest things to happen to woodworking plans since SketchUp. Um, Mm -hmm. If, you know, SketchUp is an awesome tool, but a lot of people don't necessarily want to get into the nuts and bolts of it, even if it's just to dissect a project for for the purposes of building. Um, Sawtooth Ideas kind of takes something that almost looks like a SketchUp drawing, but puts it in a format for touch devices that you can explode just using finger gestures and move the parts around. You can then isolate parts here and there. I've, I've been meaning to put up a blog post about this because these what they're doing is awesome and I really, really hope it takes off. So seeing um, other you know big companies get involved with them and, and offer their plans on this service is just great because I love what they do to a plan. When, once they get it into their system, which is kind of, it's like a proprietary thing, but once it's in there, holy crap, is it awesome. Oh, yeah. Huh. It was funny because when you had the thing about the new SketchUp, that was one of the things I'm like, are they going to finally come out with an iPad version? And <laughs> to be honest, the Sawtooth ideas, this actually comes close enough to me for me that I think I could totally live with it. Yeah, no editing. I mean, you're not going to be able to edit on the fly, um, but you are able to fully um, investigate a, a work piece that you're trying to build or, or you know, the entire thing on the whole. Um, yep. so, That's so pretty much awesome. how I handle most of my projects anyways is just investigate it. I don't actually build them. <laughs> just I take just... a look at it. Let me look at this thing. Um, incidentally, if you are interested, they do – not only can you buy these things, but you can also sell your plans. Um, I'm not sure what the, the process is because they kind of just took the stuff off my website and, and made it appear magically on their website. So <laughs> I don't know what, what the process entails, but you can actually make some money. If you've got a decent plan and, and you've worked it in the SketchUp, they could import it and make it happen. So very cool. I really hope this this company succeeds. Sweet. Yeah, it's great oh. stuff. Stupid airplanes. Anyway, uh, where are we? Around the web. We've got some links here. Uh, I've got a link from Marilyn who sent us what is this? It's a YouTube video. We've linked to a lot of this guy's uh, stuff before. Where is it? Oh, yeah. He's the one that did the segmented bull turning from a couple of uh, uh, episodes ago where the magic uh, yes. turnings happen. Frank Howarth, who does great videos. He just incorporates like this one is really cool because it's not like the bull one where it was all stop motion from beginning to end. This is actually a demonstration of this big jointer that he's got and he incorporates the stop motion into the demonstration. So again, really tremendous job that he does with the videos. Uh, we'll put the link there for you to check it out, but it's, it's pretty cool. You got to take a look. Cool. Nice. 
Hey, speaking of YouTube, while you're over there visiting that one, this one was sent in by Elias. And have you guys seen anything about this soda blasting a finish off a piece of furniture using just baking soda? Yes, I did when I watched this video. Yeah, when he sent us this link. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny because I was talking to Samantha about this thinking, this is really awesome because there's a couple of pieces that I almost might possibly think about doing some sort of refinishing on. Mm-hmm. And I told her how this guy was using soda, uh, baking soda for this. And she goes, well, yeah, our dentist does that. Why couldn't you do that on furniture? Hmm. And I'm like, there you go. Wow, I never even thought about that. So I could have minty fresh breath while simultaneously stripping off a stripping uh, the skin off really your old face. finish. <laughs> nice, <laughs> very cool. I didn't know anything about that, but that's neat. Yeah, definitely. Right. Oh, and then I have one more here. Sorry about that. I suddenly looked and like that's Matt. Uh, Lee sent in a link to an expandable contractable table. His uh, quote was, I'm an old newbie, should be a term for us, who's been making furniture for the past few years. I see the following on YouTube and thought. Of Matt, wish Rockler had a hardware kit for this. Hmm. I don't know why he thought of me because there's no way in the world I could make this. Have you guys seen this video? The guy, it's kind of like, uh, it, I don't know if the table spins, but the, the leaves open and can contract oh, yeah, on their yeah, own. Yeah. This like is one of pie shapes come apart. Yes. Yeah, this is, um, yeah. this is one of the first woodworking related videos to go viral ever. And I think this has probably come across our inboxes thousands of times. It's actually got over 2 million views. On YouTube, so this one's been around for a while. Yeah, it look, but it's so funny because when you watch it, it looks like he's dancing. That's what got me. I'm like, now that's dancing with the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah, actually, they uploaded it in 2006. 2006, wow. guys. Wow. That was about the same time I started podcasting. We were babies Did they have back the then. internet in 2006? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Just tin cans and string. Yeah, we were passing around old uh, tapes. <laughs> that's when it was. <laughs> Here, check out this band. All right. Uh, Moving on to the poll of the week from our good buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. He asked the question, do you use a router for a dedicated task like uh, uh, roundovers or dados or some specific operation that would be a pain in the butt to set up multiple times? Uh, 37% of uh, folks who replied said, you betcha. 25% said, if I could get another router, I would. 21% said, no way, that's a waste of a good router. 12% said, never thought about doing that. And 4% said, I don't use routers. And I think that that was Shannon just clicking it over and over. <laughs> so frankly. Yes, I don't him understand, Adam I don't understand the 21%. No way that's a waste of a good router. Like it's a waste to dedicate it, you mean? <laughs> like you can't take the bit out if you really need it. <laughs> I, I, I guess because it's such a utility player, that's, I don't know, that, that answer seems kind of weird to me. Well, if you have one router, you're not going to you know dedicate it to one thing. I guess is where right. probably where they're coming from. If you have one router, it's a multitasker, and that's what it's going to do. That's what you know. It makes me. Well, think I, what of, I think would be uh, sorry, Matt. What I think would be an interesting follow up is you know how many routers do you have? Yeah, and yeah. I'd be really curious that. to see how the percentage of people that said they only have one router. Hmm. Follow up. That would be the four percent. Didn't we ask that question? Once I before? feel like it. Yeah, I, I know that there's been something batted around there because I think. Um, Diami over at Modern Woodworkers this is like determined to win. He like went out and bought two more when someone asked it. So now he's up to forty two or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know the, the 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 turning instructor at Wood uh, Weekend with Wood. Uh, he he claims he has like thirty eight routers because you know you have about that many profiles. So why would you take them out of the uh, the router? <laughs> oh nice. That's a cry for help. <laughs> yes. All right. Moving on to kickback, and we got something here from Brian. You want to read that, Matt? Sure. Brian says, I I have noticed a topic that comes up often, and it it came up again in the last week's show. That is to finish the bottom or not to finish the bottom or inside of drawers or boxes. The callers are always worried about warping or some kind of wood movement, yet I have not heard anybody talk about the wow factor. When I deliver a tabletop to a customer and I'm unwrapping the top and they often see the back first and say, wow, look at that beautiful grain, and are even more thrilled when I turn it over to show them the top. Having the bottom finish shows that you paid special attention to all details of your customer's project, and customers are always very appreciative of your efforts. They will be reminded of them every time they feel the underside of the table as they pull up a chair for dinner. As a side benefit, hopefully your extra effort will make someone think twice before sticking the gum to the underside of that table. Wouldn't stop a vanderlist one bit, Brian. Not going to happen. We don't <laughs> even want to know what's the gum the come off the easier. Right? I was say, it's more motivation because you know it's not a permanent problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Scrape it right you, off. It, it's so funny because I was just thinking about this. This was uh, something that came up this weekend. And there was two instructors uh, that were saying that there is – you would be foolish not to put the same amount of coats on the bottom as you do the top. And I sat there thinking, oh, boy. 
Whoops. Uh, I completely disagree with you. Color me foolish. Um, yeah. All right. So we do have a voicemail here. This one is from Mike in L.A., which you just can't say. You can't just call him Mike. He's Mike in L.A. Just sounds better. And he's got a question about the bench crafted scraper. Scraper with a K. Hey, guys. This is Mike Corwin from Los Angeles calling uh, with a quick question about the bench crafted scraper. Um, I've got this. I love it. It's the best scraper I've ever used. But how do you sharpen it? Um, any any clue uh, to the process? Because uh, I'm stumped. Okay. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right. Now, Matt, I know you have one of these. In fact, you had a video that you did on this one uh, probably around the time that it first came out. So do yeah. you have any perspective on keeping that thing maintained? Yeah. Mike from Los Angeles. This is Matt from Muskegon. Um <laughs> <laughs> More or less, I, w- I would sharpen it very much like I would a uh, any any card scraper when it comes down to it. Because actually, if you've been using it, you know you can use it very much like a card scraper. You could stand that thing on end and and push or pull with it and use the one edge. Very similar to what you would use, say, a card scraper or even like a cabinet scraper. So just sharpen it like you would a card scraper with like a, a zero um, angle on it. So I would probably just sharpen the one edge and just go to town with it. Just make sure that it's nice and square to, say, mm. the other faces. And I, I don't see why you wouldn't have any not is, good results with it. Is well, the tip carbide? I, I was just going to say the problem is it is carbide. So you're going right. to want to use dime, probably diamond abrasives to get the job right? done. But I think, like you're saying, the, the first steps of sharpening a card scraper, nice and square and then flat, you could use those same procedures, but make sure your medium that you're on is is a diamond plate or something. Yeah, so don't just simply grab a screwdriver and pretend like you're going to burnish that over <laughs> or anything. The other thing is, uh, uh, Mike from Los Angeles, have you uh, flipped the actual face over? Because you can unscrew the blade from the body and just simply flip it over so that you use the other side, unless you've been using both of the leading edges equally. That That's another option. And I'm pretty sure Benchcrafted would probably be willing to sell you another one if you if you really yeah, wanted to do true. it. That's very <laughs> true. I'm just trying to think of how much he's using this thing because I bought that's one what... when it first came out. I bought it at Woodworking in America. I want to say Valley Forge show in 2009. Yep. And uh, mine's still pretty dang sharp. And yeah. I, I can't say I use it all the time, but it, that thing's awesome. It gets used for... It's just one of those little tools that like fits into different places. So you just pick it up and probably use it for more than it was intended to be used for. Correct. Um, it's a great back scratcher. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but mine's not dull at all. So what am I doing wrong that I'm not dulling it up like Mike from L.A.? Mm. Yeah. Shannon from uh, Maryland, I'm thinking the same thing. I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> what, what he's doing there because, uh, yeah, I, I've had mine for a long time and it's been abused with the most god awful dried glue and mm-hmm. i have yet to have any issues with it um hey just a quick note before we move on folks who are listening live i apologize for the echoing that we had before i was trying something new uh, to give you something to look at and uh, it kind of backfired with echo unfortunately so every time i was doing the desktop presentation it would echo so i've got to play with that setting a little bit more to figure out why it's looping your audio why? through twice audio twice uh, uh, uh. but anyway so uh my apologies and uh stop complaining all right uh, <laughs> now you know what it's going to be like when you come to the live event at Woodworking in America. There's going to be it plenty on, of echo. We do it on purpose. Uh, all right, moving on to the emails. Uh, first one we have here is from Greg. He says, hey, guys, I'm about to start my end grain cutting board project, and I wanted to get your opinion on a blade. I have a brand new 24-tooth marples blade, but I'm wondering if this will get uh, be clean enough of a cut for the lamination. Should I buy a glue line rip blade, or do you think the standard rip blade will suffice? I'm making it out of eight-quarter maple and purple heart. Thanks. You guys are the best. Greg. Well, thanks, Greg. We appreciate oh, that. Um, nice I love too, how he Greg. words the beginning of this email. I'm about to start my ingrain cutting board project. Like, that's like the – it's like a prerequisite for a woodworker. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. <laughs> this tells you where I am in my woodworking journey. I'm doing my, my ingrain cutting board project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm taking a look. I don't know. I haven't used the um, Irwin Marbles 24-tooth blade. Uh, but I would put it up there with your standard slightly like above entry level type blade. So it's not super high quality, but it's definitely better than what usually comes with most saws. I, I think, you know, a 24 tooth blade, that's one of those areas where you can get away, especially when it comes to ripping. You can get away with a lower quality blade because, you know, just the physics of the situation, the way you're plowing through the wood with the grain, you can actually get away with using something that's not uh, a forest or something like that. Now, here's the thing. When you make that cutting board, you aren't just ripping. There's an important part where you turn everything 90 degrees, and now you're cross-cutting. 
So I do have my concerns about using that particular blade. The low tooth count is going to be nice because you won't have as much burning as you typically get. And then you flip that piece over and that burnt uh, surface is now facing up. Um, so that's one advantage. But what you may wind up with is more tear out as you go for your cross cuts. So I think it'll be okay for the rips. I can't say whether it's going to be like glue line rip or not. Uh, a lot of it just may depend on your, your setup and... Again, I haven't used the saw blade, so I don't know for sure, but I don't see any reason why you can't get a really decent quality cut with that blade. Uh, just watch out for those cross cuts. You may want something with a higher tooth count uh, to get a nice clean cut there. So there you go. Sounds awesome. Doesn't it, though? I do. I, it sounds really good. I think you did a great job there. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to leave you an iTunes rating, about like a four and a half. I don't like to give people a solid five. No, no one's perfect. That's right. Well, speak for yourself. Okay. Anyways, though, um, Glenn... Send us an email and he says, I'm looking to buy a smoothing plane and was thinking of getting an older Stanley. What is the difference between the Sweetheart and the Bailey? Is one better than the other? Thanks for the help. Well, uh, actually, there is, um, I'm going to say about like zero difference between Sweetheart and the Bailey because Bailey is, I was just looking up the history here because I kind of remember some of this. Uh, Bailey comes from uh, Leonard Bailey, who was the plane designer of pretty much what we know is the modern day plane that Stanley was selling. And uh, the term actually was used interchangeably. Bailey just refers to uh, a Stanley plane. Hmm. Uh, Sometimes they would use the term interchangeably. Stanley, Bailey, Bailey, Stanley. And Sweetheart actually is a line of Stanley planes in the Bailey style. Please correct me if I'm wrong on this one. But uh, Sweetheart was later on, I want to say... It was post-World War II. Does that sound about right, Shannon? Do you know? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It had, it had to do with when it was manufactured. It was like their, their little branding thing. It was the new Coke. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly it. Yeah. So and then it was after more that less... was the George Bailey plane. And every time you used it, an angel got its wings. Oh, oh that's how sweet. Nice. I hope they were made out of right, new shavings. Christmas would talk. <laughs> so in other words, Glenn, uh, Bailey is typically, you'll see that stamped on uh, the, the Stanley planes. It was just kind of like a... I'll say an homage to Leonard Bailey, but I think it was more or less kind of there's probably some sort of licensing thing in there early on when they were making them. Um, or the likely it was just to avoid the lawsuit. That was probably exactly it because there was definitely some controversy about when I think Leonard got fired uh, and probably had something to do with something happening in the bathroom. I don't know, but I'm just I'm making that part up. <laughs> but anyways, like, like though, it's, it's all the same. Uh, Sweetheart just refers to a line, uh, again, somewhere in the 1900s uh, was a line of planes. And you'll notice that occasionally Stanley will have a particular line and they're usually named uh, some cutesy little name or something. So it's all pretty much the same. There you go. There we go. Well, let's see. Todd wrote in and he said, I have a question concerning bench planes. Is there a correct way to store them between uses? I'm in the <laughs> habit of cleaning up my planes and wiping them down at the end of each session. I attach the I attach the chip breaker to the iron with finger tightness and lie the assembly in the body of the plane with a cap loosely resting on top. The idea of leaving them set up under tension for long periods of time doesn't seem right to me. Is there any danger of warping the irons or damaging the planes by storing them under tension? How are planes traditionally stored? Thanks, Todd. Todd, let me first say I'm so glad you didn't ask, is it okay to store the plates blade down on your workbench? I'm sure you <laughs> turn them on their side because uh, it's just another one of those. Have we gotten into of, that once before? <laughs> yes, we have. We have. Okay. And the answer is yes. The, the answer or is no. yes. Or no. It's always yes. <clears throat> um, you know, Todd, I do not loosen my my planes. I do. I have. I get in the habit of retracting the blade. Um, so that when I stick them in the, in the rack or more than likely in my hanging tool cabinet, I have a lot of horizontal shelving and, uh, it's a really good way to take the finish off the shelves if the blade is extended <laughs> as I slide that plane in there. Um, so I do, I do retract my blade. Um, but I, I don't worry about keeping them under tension. And the reason I say that is I've bought a couple of vintage planes that, um, you know, came out of the, the bottom of grandpa's barn and the horse stall that was covered in rust and was under tension. And of course the rust itself had frozen everything in place and they took it all apart finally with basically a hammer and cleaned them up and they work fine. Um, you know, certainly I think a casting can warp, but uh, I don't know that it's going to warp due to keeping the, the the iron under tension, especially for the time periods that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to tension those suckers up and 
take them on the shelf when you decide to retire and as a like a you know practical joke on your grandkids go for it but i don't think that's going to uh, affect your planes even if you leave them alone for like a year i just can't see that happening cool cool i pretty much do the same thing i just uh, retract before storage and that's about it and then and then i let a lot of people on youtube yell at me because i put my planes blade down on the wheel oh, yeah. all the time <laughs> all one, the time one of my favorite hobbies uh, just like having the, the clock that doesn't work in the back of the shop. <laughs> it's my other favorite hobby. Um, all right, moving on, we've got a question here from, how, how would you pronounce that? Is that Jens or would you have to do something weird with the J to make that sound right? Um, I, I like Jens. Or like Jens. I like Jens. Ooh, Jens. Like I when like you put that. an S that there, sounds... it almost obligates you to do something cool with the J, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I think, I think or just ignore it. Ends. <laughs> how about that? Okay. Some dude wrote us. Yes. Uh, hey guys, I'm looking to upgrade my random orbit sander and I was wondering what your opinions were. I have yet to pony up the cash to buy into the Festool universe, but for this I would be willing. I'm doing woodworking full time and mainly making furniture, but the styles range from aloof to antique to shaker. I've been mainly looking at three sanders, the Festool Rotex uh, 125, the Festool ETS 125, and the Merca Ceros. What are your thoughts between the three, or am I completely missing the boat, and should I get some other sander? I don't have the compressor to use air sanders, so that's not an option. Uh, well, here's the thing. Uh, personally, I'm not a huge fan of the Rotex. I think it's a very good utility sander. It does a bunch of things, but most of what I use a sander for, I don't need what the Rotex, what it got. It's got yeah. like so much power, and we've, we've talked Suckers about this. Suckers heavy, too. Yes. Yeah, and to, to balance it, you really have to throw the hose over your shoulder, so otherwise it's you know going to lean back toward you. I don't want to worry about that. I just want a nice, uh, centered top heavy sort of um, uh, sander and the ETS line would be my choice for that. So, so depending on what you have to do, like if you're doing a lot of refinishing work or rough work, you might want that Rotex. If you're doing, as you described, you know, fine furniture in various styles, I think you're going to be happier with one of the ETS sanders. So knock that Rotex off the list. And now you're basically looking at the Merca versus the Festool. And in that regard, geez, I don't know I was reading some of the reviews on the Merca. I've never used it myself, but it's very well reviewed People seem to love it, but holy crap, is it expensive? Yeah. I mean, it's I've, up there. I've used compressed air sanders, and they are awesome. Yeah. And as I understand it, the Merca is as close as you're going to get mm -hmm. to a compressed air sander without the compressed air. So yeah. something to be said about that, but um, I don't know, man. The dust collection of a Festool combination sander, I mean, I still own one. <laughs> that ought to tell you something right there. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. I well, mean, and, and like, the no thing dust. is, though, you might you might still be able to get that kind of dust collection on the Merca. I mean, you True. just you know you just got to attach something to it. So um, we're looking at four ninety five. I'm just on Amazon right now. Four ninety five for the Merca and the Festool. Just so we're doing apples to apples. The ETS one fifty is three twenty five. So it's not that often that you walk out of a tool discussion saying that the Festool is the cheaper one. And yeah, in this case, combine <laughs> a, a, an air. The dust extractor with that. I mean, I, I don't know what he does, what he has or doesn't mm -hmm. have. Um, didn't we have this conversation a while ago that a Festool, even with like a regular old shop vac, still has great dust collection? Yeah. I mean, as yeah, long as you got like enough, that was uh, the answer. So I, as long as you got enough air me. movement, but e either way, um, I don't, I don't, I don't ever look at my sander and go, wow, I wish this was better. Like I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much better the Merca could be. And that's just from lack of actually trying it. But I know, how much more I enjoy using the Festool than I used to uh, experience with my DeWalt's. I could feel that difference and see that difference. So maybe that that's an equal difference with the Merca. I don't know. Um, but at 500 bucks for one tool, like a sander, which you could, I mean, if you really want to look at the other end of the spectrum, 70 bucks for a DeWalt, you know, random orbit <laughs> sander. Um, right. Holy smokes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of beans to blow on a sander. That better come with a life, life supply uh, amount of paper. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't think I'm really much help on the answer for that, but maybe just knocking the Rotex out of out of contention might help your your decision making there. <laughs> hey, if anybody has the Merca and you've got an opinion on this, um, definitely let us know. We'll read it in the kickback section next time. You know, for some reason, I remember Glenn Huey talking about the the Merca Cirrus. Maybe maybe it was Merca paper or something. I I no, just I seem think to remember. He reviewed it. I'm pretty Did sure he reviewed it. Okay, hmm. maybe that's why I remember it. All right, cool. Hey, we got a question from Jim, and Jim says or asks, 
I have a question about using coverings on the assembly table. I was watching some old episodes of Woodworks and noticed that David Marks used what looks like brown craft paper or something very similar to cover the table during glue-ups. It seems like this should stick to the project like crazy, but I never see him have a problem on the show. What's the secret? Uh, because it's David Marks and he's magical. <laughs> it's TV. <laughs> it's happy little elves. Yeah, you don't see the uh, the uh, the interns running in and changing the paper out while they take a, a quick coffee break. Or and David's. I imagine David would be drinking tea, probably like a nice green herbal tea. Coffee. Um, <laughs> actually, coffee. you know, I. I I've used craft paper before, and it works fantastic. I've I've never really had an issue with glue sticking to it. And then again, though, I should emphasize that I try to use not too crazy amount of glue. So I imagine mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that in there. You don't have. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of David Marks where there's like glue just like pouring out like Niagara Falls, <laughs> streaming down the side. <laughs> right. I uh, think I put so too I'm much. Sure there's on. a little bit of that, but. You know, overall, I, I just I really don't see an issue with it. And it seems like even if it, it did stick, it would just be one little single spot that'd be kind of easy to chisel off or something if well, necessary. Do you guys even do this on your projects no. when you assemble something, put down a sacrificial clean surface? Mm-mm. Yeah, me neither. And I had the best of intentions, you know, because I was a big uh, David Marks fanboy. Um, I bought my sheet of brown paper and wanted my assembly table to look just like David's. And then I got bored of doing that. That was kind of annoying to... <laughs> to roll that crap out all the time. Um, and then I realized it's, it's kind of like, you know, to a certain extent you're trying to protect your workbench, but it's like, what is the point of the workbench? But to, to right. be worked on, you know, what am I protecting you from? I think I highly recommend when you first build a workbench to take a chisel and just whack it in the center of it. Just get it over with, <laughs> you, you know, because it's going to happen. Yeah. And you know, just, you can cry, you can shout, you can tear your hair out and then you just move on. Yep. And then you should immediately, happen cut the palm of your hand and pour blood on there and be like, we're blood brothers and just smear it on there. <laughs> I love you. Um, you well, know, it's, it's funny because I actually, in my hand, while I was, uh, I wanted to double check on this. I brought over a roll of craft paper that I bought several years ago. Okay. A lot of years ago with mm-hmm. that intention of using it on my workbench to protect it. Right. And the biggest problem I ran to, this is actually unopened. I should hide this and maybe sell it. I don't know. We'll do something with it. But the biggest problem I always had with it is as soon as I rolled out, it rolled right back up. So I ended up changing Casing the paper more than actually doing anything with it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, here, here's you know the I thing. Think- if, um, if you do decide to do something like this, yes, it can stick to your project. But ultimately, if you're getting the glue squeeze out, it's an area you would have to clean up later anyway. So some of the glue is going to absorb into the paper, and then yes. you'll probably wind up getting it stuck to the project. But a scraper or a plane is just going to knock that right off. So it isn't like it's detrimental, but it saves you from having your project be- being glued to your table surface. Yeah. Keep the paper and use it for like full size drawings. That'd right. be better. That's a good idea. Ooh, I yeah. like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Shannon's getting all Skypey on us. Am I? A little Oops. bit. A little bit. Yeah, um, it's Darth Shannon. <laughs> uh, okay, well, then, then it's appropriate that the next question's mine. Um, <clears throat> this is from Tobias. He says I am planning to build an outdoor play tower for my kids. I thought dimensional lumber will do the trick for a fair price. It needs to withstand the elements in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm wondering if I should go with an outdoor finish or better go with pressure-treated wood. As I have no idea what is used for pressure treatment, I am skeptical if it's good and safe for kids to play with. The alternative is to apply an outdoor-type finish, and luckily there are several options on the market. The question for me is, will an outdoor-type finish last as long as the description promises, or are there alternative products that will do the trick and make the play tower outlast the time my kids will play on it? I guess another option is to refinish the wood every other year, So, um, but that is surely not too easy to do, and I prefer not to touch the finish for years to come. Mm. Um, well, uh, pressure-treated wood has undergone some changes. Uh, you know, the 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 tales of all the arsenic and stuff in it. Um, it should be gone. Um, now new pressure treated lumber. I'm not going to say that it's great for you. Um, the biggest issue, if you go that route is, you know, make sure you're wearing dust mask while you're cutting that stuff because the dust will, uh, wreak havoc on you. Um, I see, I don't, I don't sell pressure treated lumber. I, I only know that it's sometimes called CCA. <laughs> That's about as much as I, I can tell you there. I, I can't imagine that it's going to hurt the kids playing on them. I and mean, it's not like they're, you know, yeah. chewing on it or well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're not. 
Um, but <laughs> my, if what you're looking <laughs> for, I mean, it, it's ugly. I know that much. Um, it is certainly going to outlast a non-pressure treated wood with just finish over top of it. There's no question. Pressure treated wood is like meant for in-ground contact and will go for decades and decades. Whereas, you know, an unpressure treated species with just an outdoor finish on it, it you're, it's not going to be the same. Now, if you went with a good exterior species, um, you know, a Western red cedar or um, any of the cedars for that matter, red, Douglas fir red is a great one. Or something. Um, I mean, he's in Vancouver, where Douglas fir comes from. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, where a lot of the Western red cedar comes from. And you're not too far from where the yellow cedar comes from, just a little bit north of you. So, you've got some phenomenal exterior products just domestically right there in your backyard. And um, red cedar is actually rated for ground contact. And many people make fences and things out of it all the time. If you want to keep that color, that red-brown color, um, you're going to have to refinish it probably once a year, if not every couple of years, no matter what you put on it. Um, although Vancouver, am I, I'm right in thinking they get a lot of rain up there. Yeah. Maybe the sun is not quite so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sun is relentless. It will fade any wood with any kind of finish. Um, generally, if it's in direct sunlight, you're going to have to refinish it every single year anyway. So if you don't mind it kind of turning a silvery gray, then you, you may not have to finish it at all. Yeah. So you need to weigh the cost option um, between, um, you know, a Western red cedar or a Douglas fir compared to a pressure treated material. Um, I, I just, I don't like pressure treated stuff much. I just think it looks ugly and I just don't know enough about it to know, is this going to, if I get a splinter, is my hand going to fall off? <laughs> It's from what I understand, the new stuff, the more, you know, it's uh, utilizes more copper to do its thing is right. generally considered safe. And right. here's the thing, though, that doesn't mean that it's safe enough, you know, for every parent, for their kids. Everybody's got to make this decision for themselves. Anything that is that heavily laced with any chemical, it, you have to decide, do you want your kid crawling all over that thing? Um, it's not right. even so much that they're going to eat it, but their skin will be in contact with it. There is certainly potential for splinters. I'm going to spend a lot of time out on that thing sweating on it. So, um, you know, that's just a personal decision. One thing that I would think about doing if I was going to build something like this, pressure treated does have some appeal, obviously, just for its uh, longevity. Um, What about doing something where maybe the non-essential, like the non-touch parts of the structure, the things that they're not going to come in contact with, maybe make that out of the pressure treated material and right. then spend less money because you don't need as much of it. Get, you know, the cedar or something a little bit more uh, nice looking, conducive to outdoor exposure and something that is going to be perfectly safe uh, for your kids for the exposed areas and kind of do right. a combination. Like a deck. Mm-hmm. You know, you right. build your, your joists and your posts a lot of times that are pressure treated and then you throw your, your Ipe or your, you know, Canberra or whatever over top of it. Yeah. Um, because six by six eBay posts cost more than a car. So it's one of those <laughs> things that you, you, you make a sacrifice there. Yeah. Also keep in mind, if you do go pressure treated, that this new stuff has a real bad tendency to deteriorate the hardware that you use with it. So make sure you're uh, oh, yeah. look into that. Make sure you're using the hot dip galvanized um, screws or um, the special deck screws. They look like they've got a painted coat, but they'll all like be labeled properly for uh, and rated for use with a certain type of pressure treated lumber. So make sure you look into that because a lot of times people don't think about that. They just go, oh, I use pressure treated lumber. And then the thing falls apart because the fasteners have been like eaten away, you know? know, So there's a secondary safety issue when, when you're using that pressure treated stuff. So, okay. Right on. There we go. Um, moving into the iTunes reviews. We got, uh, one this, uh, this week to read from Jay Michael. He says fracking awesome. Figured it was time for a review. I really enjoy the show and appreciate all the help that you three have given me over the past few years. If not for your guidance, I would be out of a out of the hobby for good by now. This is more of a thank you than anything. Well, thank you very much, J. Michael. We appreciate that. Thank you. That's fracking awesome. That it is. And if you want to leave us an iTunes review, you can do that. Just head to the iTunes store, uh, look us up, uh, just search for Wood Talk and find the ratings and reviews tab and leave us a nice little review. And we just might read it on the show. We'll certainly mention your name regardless, but we might even read the review. Yeah, I think we should just do that. Just start reading names of the reviewers, but not the review. Well, we do that. We just oh, read we do one. That, don't we? We do what we only read one per show. 
Oh, okay. We, we stopped reading then. them all because we realized how annoying that was. <laughs> as much as we like them, the rest of the audience doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, we said that. And today's show is uh, sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and also SawStop at SawStop.com. Go check those guys out. We appreciate their support. Also, would like to thank Samantha, who was generous enough to uh, sign up for a recurring donation, which you can too, if you want to, at woodtalkshow.com. Uh, look in that left-hand column. You'll see some links for donations. You could do 2 5 $10 a month recurring, or you can just do a one-time donation, and that just helps us keep Matt in stretchy pants. Hey, Check out Samantha making Nicole and Heather look bad. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> hold on. She told me That's that like, that was actually going to go towards the kids' lunch. Uh, honey, that wasn't in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, I think that's all we got here, Matt. If you want to give them the contact info, we'll get out of here, out of here. All right, folks. Hey, do you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion? You you should. You know, we don't do this show just for our laughs. Okay, we do actually sometimes. (laughs) But if you have several different ways to contact us, leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180, just like Mike in Los Angeles or wherever you're located. You don't have to necessarily give us your geographic location. Uh, you can email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at WoodTalkShow.com. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the three of us actually also have our own websites. Mm-hmm. You can find Mark over at thewoodwhisperer.com or if you forget the the, you can now just go to woodwhisperer.com. Take Finally. it to the same place. <laughs> uh, you can find Shannon over at renaissancewoodworker.com and you can find me at mattsbasementworkshop.com. And you know what? We we even have a forum. It's over at woodtalkonline.com where you can find out all sorts of great stuff and maybe even talk behind our back because I can't read all those things. I really I can't. went there today. I went there for like the first time in like months. boy. Did you have to like by. log back in again? Yeah, I forgot actually what it was. <laughs> so I always mean to go over there and every time I go, it's always fun. Lots it, of good people there. It's a busy place. I, I check it out every day just as a, a moderator to make sure everything is cool. But man, it's alive. Everybody's having a good time there. I wonder if everybody, like as soon as they see you come on, they go, shh, Mark's here. Shh, Mark's here, yeah. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> I'm always here. I'm the, <laughs> I just kind of hover over everything and, and pick pick the spammers and smack them in the head. Oh, all right. all-knowing eye. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And hey, by the way, Woodworking in America, if you're going, you got to come see us. We're going to do our little live dealy whacker. Uh, maybe we'll even have like a, a kissing booth with Matt in it. Ooh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll trim up the beard nice and I'll make sure I eat lots of onions <laughs> that day. You'll be all set. I'm going to say, your beard tickles. And if, if you're lucky, maybe one of the, <laughs> one of you will win a, a half a mozzarella stick with me. Ooh. I think we need to do like those, those cutout things where they have the pictures with their faces cut out and people <laughs> can get their pictures in it. That would be awesome. We need to have those. If, if only just one with like a, a whoopee on its head so there everyone can pretend they're Matt. Everybody that can wear the cool. whoopee and his, uh, his beautiful sweater. That one picture you have is great. You know what? I better start stocking up on that hand sanitizer <laughs> and the, the lotion because I imagine my hands are going to get really chafed from all that hand shaking. Yeah, your lips are going to get chapped too. So. <laughs> All right. On that. Well, have a great woodworking week. <laughs> woodworking. I knew I, there was a word in there somewhere. Woodworking week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. See ya. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 